Well, welcome all of you to our Unity service as part of our very first Perth Movement Day, which is fantastic news. And the first of many. Gee, you're an excitable bunch tonight, aren't you? Come on. Well, uh, let me say, here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, we're uh, just really delighted to host this event and uh, to welcome you from all different parts of the body of Christ. And I just want to thank you for being here tonight. We hope you can stay for some refreshments after the service. It's going to be a little bit like the feeding of the 5,000, which is exciting, isn't it? So I don't know how much food is out there, but um, we just, pr- just pray for multiplication. And, uh, you know, of all weekends, this weekend is one we should expect some miracles, right? Yeah, so there'll be lots of food and probably basketfuls left over, is my guess. Well, tonight we put aside our differences, we lower our fences, we lay down our own agendas, our own labels, our own branding, our logos and our egos, which sadly all too often go together. We lay them aside and we gather in unity and in humility in the name of the one who died for us all, the one through whose death and resurrection we are brought together as one family. Amen. If you remember that, uh, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church, not my churches. We've lost the plot somewhere along the line. He's only building one. uh, So we'd better learn to get along. And uh, there's a growing sense in the church in Perth that we'll achieve more if we not only get along together, but if we learn to work together to bring blessing to our city and uh, in a nutshell that's really what movement day is all about here in perth and movement day all around the world as we'll hear in a little while so thanks for coming tonight we're thankful to the still band who've served us faithfully across the weekend we very much appreciate that Um, we're thankful too we're thankful to the many pastors and leaders who will take part this evening in particular uh, those from zion praise harvest the whole team from zion praise harvest We've worked hard at putting tonight together. We're thankful. No, don't, we're going to be here all night if you keep clapping. Don't clap. We're thankful for the churches who've closed their regular services tonight. You know, that's a real sacrifice. Closing your regular service on a Sunday night to come and be part of something bigger. God bless you and thank you for doing that. We're thankful for Steve Grace, who just happened to be passing through Perth and uh, contacted me and said, can I get a piece of this unity thing? And uh, I said, Absolutely. So great to have Steve Gracie with us. Um, we're thankful, uh, really, for our guest speaker, Roger Sutton, and uh, his wife, Leslie, who are here from the UK. Mostly we're thankful to the Lord, whose master plan is to bring all things together under the headship of Christ. So we're going to be leading a time of prayer. A number of people are going to come and lead us in prayer. But uh, let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord together in prayer. We're just going to pray together now. We're going to have three sessions of prayer. I want you to join with the person next to you in pairs. The first session we're going to pray for is we're going to thank our Father for the unity we already have in the city and we're going to pray for more. So I want you to join with me now. Grab them by the shoulder or grab them by the hand. Let's start to lift it up in this room. Let's start to lift. You can stand up if you want. You can sit down. Let's start to lift it up. And as you pray, I'm going to pray boldly with you. 
We've got some bold prayers to pray tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your crucifixion. That we're united with your crucifixion. And in your crucifixion, you've broken the hostility between us. And Lord, we thank you for your resurrection. That in your resurrection, you've created us as one new creation, united together. And Jesus, we thank you for your ascension, that we are united with your ascension as one body to bring heaven to earth, seated in heavenly places to release the new creation of this creation. Let's lift it up. And, and Father, we look in your eyes as your children. We say thank you for creating us as a family. Thank you for the oneness you've given us. And thank you how you're outworking that oneness in our city. Thank you for Perth Together. Thank you for Movement Day. Thank you for the way you're bringing us as one new creation to serve the poor, to serve our cities. We thank you for every movement of unity that your heart is pouring out across our city. And we join you as one because of what you've done on the cross. And we say, Lord, pour out more of your heart for your family to serve in our city. Lord, unite our regions. Unite the city of Sterling. Unite the church in Joondala. Father, would you unite the church in Mandarin and Kalgoorlie? Would you increase the unity in Perth? Would you increase the unity in Vic Park and Canning? Lord, we pray for regional unity. We ask for an increase, Father. Open our eyes to see the unity you've already given us. We thank you for what you've done. And Father, we ask for more. Father, we ask that you would bring the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Father, we ask for more. Lord, we ask that you would bring the hearts of the children back to their fathers. And Father, we ask for the mothers. Lord, stir their hearts towards the children and to the hearts of the children to their mothers. Lord, that there be generational unity, the same oneness that the Father and the Son have. Let that be the oneness that our fathers in our city and their children and their spiritual children have. Let us have that same oneness, Lord. You've given it to us on the cross. We want to outwork it. We want to outwork it. We want to be good stewards of the unity you've given us on the cross. And so we declare, Lord, your oneness that you've given us. We say, Father, with the Holy Spirit flowing through us, saying, Abba, Father, through us, as we stand in Christ as a new creation, we look in your eyes, our Father, as one family. And we say, Father, pour us out across the city, just as you poured out Jesus over the cross and it brought the kingdom of God. Pour out this family over the city and let it bring the kingdom of God into our city, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Father, we 
we want to come together tonight as one. And Lord, we want to confess that so many times in the past as well as in the present, Lord, we have not adhered to and opened our hearts to your prayer when you said we are one. And when you prayed for us, Lord Jesus Christ, calling us to be one as you and the Father are one, Lord, together tonight we want to say, Lord, we repent of our disunity. We repent, Lord, of all the things we allow between us. We repent, Lord, of all those things that we allow to tear our hearts apart and to break apart what you have put together. Lord, we confess and we proclaim that this house, your church, is one church. We remind ourselves tonight, Lord, that a broken and divided church will never be able to heal a broken and divided city. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you, if you can, just to find yourself on your knees tonight with me. Let's just bring our hearts before our Lord, our Father. Lord, we're reminded that your word says that you have given this ministry of reconciliation to us. You have reconciled all things to you. And Lord, you've called us to unity so that the world may believe and that they would know that you love them. We confess tonight, Lord, that so many times we break down and break apart this message of reconciliation. We simply ask tonight, Father, forgive us. Not only for what has been done, but tonight I want to together with my brothers and sisters say, Lord, we own what is happening. And we want to ask, Lord, forgive us. Heal our hearts. Restore our hearts to one another. Lord, we pray for the body of Christ here in Perth, here in Western Australia. And we want to we ask, Lord, make us one. Jesus, you wouldn't have prayed it for us if you didn't know that this would be such a struggle amongst us. And Lord, we pray this for us present here tonight. But we also pray for repentance we pray Lord for restoration for each and every part of the body of Christ we want to say Lord we know that we are not supposed to be one we are one we hear your voice Lord we acknowledge that you are talking you are speaking into our hearts forgive us and restore us Lord we pray Lord that as a healed church, as a whole church, as one body, we would bring your message of reconciliation to heal this city that needs it so much. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you. Why don't we stand to our feet? acknowledged what's happened in the past and given thanks for that. We've come before the Lord and we've repented of our disunity. And as a symbol of our fresh unity that we're declaring tonight, I would invite you to take hands, hold hands with the person next to you. And as a company of believers, let us stand together and make a declaration. You can join across the aisles if you're able. This is not to make us feel uncomfortable, even although some may find that. But this is a declaration in the heavenlies. We are one. And we will walk forth from here as one. Because our city needs it. God loves cities. He loves our cities. He wants to move in our cities. So let's invite him now. Just pray with one another as you're standing here. That God would come into our city. That there would be a movement of God in our city. A gospel movement that would bring revival, would bring righteousness into the land. or the arts or, or in the church what would a transformed city look like and I challenge you to take that picture that one thing 
and to hold that in your heart and to pray over the next week, over the next month, over the next year for that one thing that you can see in transformation in our city. So Lord, we stand, we commit with one another to press in, Lord. We don't know how to do it. We confess that we don't know how to do it. But we know that you know, and so we look to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you're not seated, you may be seated. What a wonderful night we've had already. And um, I've been asked to do communion tonight. So those that are appointed to hand out the emblems, if you could just begin to do that, that would be, be great. Thanks so much. God knows how to fix something that is broken. Jesus said of himself that the spirit of the Lord was upon him. He said he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year was a jubilee year that everybody got back what was taken from them. So Jesus came to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten in our lives and in the church of Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers said, leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands and step out into the invincible future with him. At the last supper, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. He didn't say, this is my body fragmented for you. Hebrews says we have a high priest who can identify and empathize with us, which is so important when you're going through a trial or you're going through some testing in your life. I pastored for 25 years and pastoring pastors now, so I know what it's like for a pastor to go through testing and trials. So Jesus can identify with us. Isaiah prophesies about Jesus in very descriptive terms as a broken savior. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent and he opened not his mouth. The great thing is our Father God didn't leave Jesus in a broken and dead state. He restored and raised Jesus up from that state. In fact, Jesus said that no one could take his life from him. He has the power to lay it down and to pick it up again. And that's exactly what he did. 
Jesus laid it down so that a broken world and a broken religious system could be saved and healed and made whole. Jesus also said, if we try to hold on to our life, we will lose it. But if we lay it down for his sake, we will find it. And we'll gain abundant life. Perhaps if we could think about that in a corporate sense. If we try to hold on to our church and our ministry and not be concerned about the broader church as a whole in the city and the nation, we could lose it. But if we lay it down for God's big picture of one body, we will find it and gain a whole lot more, I believe. Jesus said these words in Luke 1 for the word of God will never fail. If it's broken, God can fix it. If it's empty, God can fill it. If it's failed, God can restore it. If it's sin, God can forgive it. If it's wrong, God can make it right. If it's crooked, God can make it straight. If it fell, God can pick it up. If it's paralyzed, God can make it move. If it's dead, God can resurrect it. And if it's dead, God can make it alive again. Nothing is beyond God and nothing is impossible with God. A mosaic is an ancient form of art that brings small stones and broken tiles and broken shards together to make a beautiful design or portrait. Something beautiful comes out of hundreds, if not thousands of little broken pieces. God creates his masterpiece from our broken mess. Miracles are the mosaics God uses to form out of the broken pieces of our lives. One day, God plonked Ezekiel in the middle of a valley. And he asked, he walked him up and down. He made him look at all the brokenness. Very hard to look at broken things. But he made him look at it and he asked him a question. Do you think these dry bones can live? What do you believe? Can the brokenness be fixed? And in the end, he said, I want you to prophesy. I want you to speak what I say to you for the dry bones to come together. For the broken nation, the broken church to come together. One day, Jesus had been healing many. He performed the miracle of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000. He walked on the sea, stepped into the boat with the disciples. And when they came to the shore, he he made this statement that he was the bread that came down from heaven, that lives and gives life to the world. He made a wild statement that people, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. The response was the people scattered. Because it interfered with their thinking. It interfered with their life. It interfered with their church and their ministry. And only a few were willing to partake. Only a few were willing to embrace the whole of the body of Jesus. The whole of who he was. At the first Passover, they were told to eat the whole lamb. You couldn't choose which part you wanted, you know, like the 
the lovely lamb chops. But you had to eat the whole thing. Jesus took the cup and he said, let's stand together. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This broken bread and this cup represent me. And by eating and drinking these, you partake of me. You partake of me. And I want you to embrace all of me, he was saying. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 10, this is what Paul says. In chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless is not the commu- is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The cup you're holding in your hand is a cup of blessing. And tonight as we eat and drink together, I believe God is going to release a blessing on the church of Perth. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There's only one bread, and his name is Jesus. So as we hold up the bread, Jesus, when he did this last supper, he said, I'm in the cup. I'm in the bread. This represents me. So let's eat right now in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. He came to heal the broken world. And as we take the cup, we remember the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Without the shedding of his blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. So, Lord, as we eat and as we drink together now, we do it so and we proclaim your death until you come again. Amen. It's a very important calendar in the Chinese New Year. All right. Um, Everybody knows about the Chinese New Year. But nobody really knows much about the Chinese New Year Eve, which is a very important evening where families gather together. They have amazing meals. And these are the things we experience all around the world. Do you know Chinese are everywhere? <laughs> the most popular name, the most popular Western name is Smith, but the most popular Chinese name is Lee. Alright? Just for your information. I'm not Lee. Well, there's a story in uh, Malaysia about a family, a rubber tapper, a poor man, um, decent man. He had 11 children and eight sons of his were doctors. Uh, The rest were businessmen, lawyers and a proud homemaker. They had 47 grandchildren. 32 of them were doctors and six studying medicine. The lawyers... The rest made up of lawyers, architects, bankers, and businessmen and women. So that's the family when they gather together. There are about 60 or 80 of them. All right. But this is like a family, isn't it? Can, can I ask you to be, uh, to be Chinese for one night? <laughs> to celebrate Chinese? You know, because the whole world is coming together. The, all the churches and the family are coming together as a family reunion. So, so tonight, uh, just, 
just be uh, Chinese for one day, just really come together as a family. Um, and there are five things you can do when you meet together. You can shake hands with one another, like the way the Australians do it. You can uh, high-five. You can, uh, that's two. Then number three, you can give each other a holy hug. And if you're not married, can you make sure an elephant can pass through between the two of you? <laughs> and uh, number four, which is a bit more dangerous, which is biblical, you can give each other a holy kiss. And number five, if you don't like each other, when you, when you, when you stand up later on and greet each other, you can, you can move seats. All right. <laughs> so can I ask you to arise and just uh, welcome each other again? And meet and greet each other. Spend some time getting to know each other. I guess what I was supposed to say was whenever the churches get together for a unity service like this, it's like a, it's a, like a Chinese reunion dinner. I guess some of you will get that anyway. Today, you know, the pastors had an interesting weekend over the week. Uh, we, we had a Friday diversity dinner, we had a conference yesterday, and um, we hear a lot from what the pastors were saying, but today we would like to get some feedback from what the congregation is saying. So we want to introduce you to what they call a mentimeter, mentimeter and uh, you're going to answer a question, you're going to answer, you're going to pick up your phone, alright? All of you have phones, right? You don't bring your Bibles anymore, right? And uh, go to the web. You go to the web of menti.com, www.menti.com, and you key in this code 335201, and you're going to answer this question in one or two words What does unity in the body of Christ in part mean to you? What does unity in the body of Christ in Perth mean to you? In one or two words. The pastors have spoken a lot, the leaders have spoken a lot, but what does the congregation think? This is what the family thinks. Unity is family, it's love, it's togetherness, joy. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's about love. It's about family coming together doesn't matter which background, what age group, what culture, what kind of church tradition or which denomination. This is the result of your answers. Acceptance. Forgiveness. There's far too many I can't see, I can't read. That's beautiful, isn't it? We move on to the next question that you're going to answer. On a scale of 1 to 10, how united is the body of Christ in Perth? That is a very telling one. It's going to be, we are at least more united than Manchester United. <laughs> We're sitting at 5.3, 5.2. Any better than that? Okay, that's where we are. It's good to at least have an idea where we are. That's only the average. But if you can see, the majority are moving towards the six, about the six, right? And this is at least we know where we are. And perhaps in the future, we will be able to move a lot better. Amen? 
it's at least something to be able to measure us with. And that's where we are. Let's uh, welcome uh, Adam, who is the next person to come up, pastor from Red Door. Well, no one church can change a city. No one church can reach a city. But if we gather together and work together, we can make great changes to our city. The Christians of Perth, across all different church backgrounds, working together to create a gospel ecosystem where Jesus Christ is proclaimed as Lord in all of life. I think transforming a city means we have a common interest. We want to see something take place. And I think there must be unity with all organisations, whether it's education, businesses, the church, we're all aligned. A transformed city, to me, looks like the poor being lifted up, better mental health in our society, greater opportunities for education and employment for the marginalised, and the practical influence of the love and light of Christ in every sphere of our society. Great question. I think it's got to be when the things of the kingdom of God are really starting to influence the things here on earth. Things like the poverty, the homelessness, the uh, the sickness, the the meth epidemic. When the church is is interacting with the culture and having such an influence that crime rates decrease. A transformed city or town is where people who would be considered to be the least of these know that they are valued and appreciated. It looks loving. You walk down the street and you just know that there's love in the atmosphere, that there's acceptance of all people, colours, races. There's no discrimination of any sort. Um, Yeah, it's a beautiful, a humble city is what it is. It's humble. Well, for me, it's where people are getting, uh, get together, get on, all right, with each other across uh, age groups, across... uh, different nationalities and very much how our society is. I think a transformed city looks like a city where every person, every age, every ethnicity uh, is living as image bearers of Christ and that means they're loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. They're loving one another and they're walking that out in everything they do and everything they say. Well, I believe at this uh, Franklin Graham when we had it uh, in earlier in the year and there was thousands of people came together in the arena and I saw so many people going down and just by the hundreds being saved and people's lives being transformed and to me that's what it's all about. A transformed city to me looks like a city where the king of all kings is worshipped in his kingdom and Humility oozes from the people seen through. A people that share with each other, that serve one another and sacrifice for each other. Children across the city are knowing, loved, protected and equipped to be everything God has made them to be. A transformed city is where people in that city bear the image of God. When they're bearing the image, as they outwork that image, as they speak that image, as they live out that image of God, lives flourish. When people's lives are flourishing, a city flourishes, a city is transformed. That was a nice little intro video for myself, wasn't it? I didn't didn't plan that. Wasn't. um, It's not about me, all right? Just so you know about Jesus. Just some amazing pastors and leaders in our city, hey? And uh, that's our desire, isn't it? To see a transformed city. 
Uh, we're going to take up our offering tonight, so if you want to prepare yourselves for that, uh, there's little uh, envelopes around the joint, uh, look like that, uh, if you're giving via credit card tonight. I just want to let you know that um, the giving tonight is, is going to Movement Day. The giving tonight is going to our efforts towards uh, unity in this city. Um, it, it may have Mount Pleasant Baptist Church on the front, um, but that's just because they're uh, managing the gig, and uh, that's helpful. Thank you so much. But um, one of the things I want to start the, the, this moment with is uh, a reading out of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And this is Paul speaking. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Such a powerful scripture, that. Every time I read it, it's kind of like it's... Oh, it's imagine that. It's living. It's active. It speaks. And I just I want to focus on a little part of it. That part is the fact that it says, make every effort. Make every effort. Everyone say Effort. Effort. Something about effort means that there's a, there's a cost involved. Uh, if there's no effort, there is no cost. Uh, there is always a cost. And specifically, the cost here is, traject- is, is lined up towards the direction of keeping unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. If there's, if there's no cost, there's no sense of uh, enablement to actually stay unified. Tonight, one of the things that we've gathered is we've all made an effort to be here. We've all made a, a willing decision to say there's something special going on within our church communities within this city, and there's something you've, you've caught something, you've caught a vision about something. I'm, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be here unless that was true. You've caught something. It's a lot easier to pay a cost when you've caught a vision for something. Does that, does that make sense to everyone? Like, it's easy to pay that cost when something's burning in your heart, when it's alive in your heart, when you've seen something. There's a great story about um, a rabbit, and I want to read it to you. I once heard a story about an old grandfather sitting lazily on the porch of his country home with his grandson. He had six dogs lying underneath the porch. About a hundred yards across the field, a rabbit darted out of the bush and started back at the house just for a second and then it disappeared into the undergrowth undergrowth one of the dogs perked up and let out a short bark and took off across the field immediately the other five dogs jumped to their feet yapping excitedly in hot pursuit of the first dog the grandfather said to his grandson son let me tell you what's about to happen in 10 minutes the other five dogs are going to come back one by one heads hung tongues out And in about 30 minutes, the first dog will come back with the rabbit in his mouth. Sure enough, that's what happened. And the grandson asked, how do you know? The grandfather replied, because that first dog you see was the only one who actually saw the rabbit. The others were just running and yapping because there was some excitement in the air. The picture is that when you see unity, when you see the power of of what Jesus has prayed that he would make us one I believe it's a key that I don't know if all of the church of Jesus has actually seen it yet and I suppose I'm asking the question of us all have have you seen what could possibly happen if a church is unified and how a city could be transformed by the power of the gospel 
if every follower of Jesus is carrying this newfound love for each other, I, I tell you, it'll be, so, it'll be so starkly obvious that the world won't be able to help but say, oh, the Father has sent the Son. But if you've seen it, if you've seen it, if you've glimpsed it, the cost is easy. And so I want to let you know tonight we are, we're giving towards something that has been going on for a number of years, this effort towards unity, but it hasn't stopped and it's going to continue. And we don't want to let it stop. We want to see it transform our city because only the gospel can transform it. And so I'm asking you to be part of this, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so as we give tonight... I'm praying two things. I'm praying that we would see the rabbit. (laughs) We'd see it. We'd see the gospel. We'd see the power of unity. And that we would be convicted, ushered, energized to be a part of that. So let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this time of giving. And God, I thank you that we don't want to give under obligation or manipulation tonight. We want to give because we've seen something. We've seen something so clear, so obvious, that that it's compelling. It's... It's grabbing our hearts. And God, I pray that as we, as we give tonight, Father, that the unity of the body of Christ in this city would grow and grow, be stronger and stronger. Father, help us. We need your help. But God, I pray that these finances that are given would have kingdom impact in this city for your glory alone. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It's my pleasure tonight to um, introduce our guest speaker, a gentleman by the name of Roger Sutton, who, uh, let me tell you, in this whole unity space, he, he carries something. Actually, he carries something globally. He's, a, uh, in my view, a global leader in this space. It's for such, uh, such an honour to have him here in Perth with us. Uh, and as he comes, he, um, he, he brings something that's more than just, uh, you know, words from his own mouth. He brings something uh, of the heart of God for the unity of a city. And it's certainly been our prayer that he'll impart something to us. Just a bit about his background. Roger, um, he actually was, there was an earlier joke some of you might have missed. He was the chaplain of the Manchester United Football Club. Roger, most of us couldn't care less about that, just quietly. That's that game of the round ball. Stupid. Well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> Roger was also, and this is, this is far more commendable, he was a Baptist pastor for 22 years at Altrincham uh, Baptist in Manchester. Roger, why don't you come and share with us, and uh, God bless you as you come. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, I wasn't going to mention anything about ethics and cricket, but... But you just put me in a corner. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I don't know why we're not just having a Steve Grace concert, to be honest. Um, wow. Well, I want to be that cool when I grow up. <laughs> well, in the words of Steve Grace, uh, good eye. Not quite as good, is it? No, but bless you. <laughs> It's uh, fantastic to be here in this uh, great city, beautiful city that you have. Um, and uh, I was just saying yesterday, just what, how many gifted people in this city. You do need to realize that, folks. There's so many gifted people in this city. 
And uh, the trouble is uh, for those who have been given much, much is expected. <laughs> that's, that's the payback on it. Um, but God has put a lot of gifted people into this city. And we, we were just saying yesterday, it's a bit like the best band in the world. You know, it's like Bono on lead guitar and Chris Martin and Adele um, backing singers. Um, Jimi Hendrix on uh, electric guitar and Paul McCartney on bass and Elton John on piano and uh, Ringo Starr on uh, drums. Uh, um, but that band would be dreadful if they all just sung their own song and to their own beat, to their own tune. be dreadful band. Um, but when you get talented people coming together, playing our Lord's score <laughs> under his orchestration, um, then that's when you get synergy. Um, uh, so we're just thankful. And you've got an exciting future Phenomenal stuff happening in this great city. Um, it's so beautiful to look at for a start. Um, uh, you've already had an exciting future. The growth of Perth has been significant. Um, and I think in the last few years, the fastest growing city in, in Australia. And it's set to expand even further. Um, even uh, conservative estimates have you growing by uh, 50, 100% over the next 30 years. You realize that? You're going to double the city. Um, double the city, probably. Um, and... Uh, so you've got to get your heads around that a bit, actually, as to, well, as to what sort of city, um, shape of city for the future do you actually want? Um, what, is, uh, what are you actually looking for? And who's going to shape the future of the city? That's the question. Um, there are money people out there who are wanting to shape the future of the city, by the way. They're, A, wanting to make as much money out of the future of the city as possible, and probably to take as much money from you as possible. You need to realize that. Um, now, you know, making money is good, it employs people, and that's great, but if that's, if that's the reason to make money, then, then essentially you've, you create a big shop. Do you want your city to be a big shop? Um, these are big questions we need to ask ourselves. Contemporary culture, is that going to shape the future of the city? Um, well, in some ways, perhaps it will be good, and, but in other ways, it won't be so good, will it? Um, uh, what about the politicians? Um, uh, I come, I come from the UK, and uh, we've given up. Um, <laughs> we've got so depressed. Um, uh, and what about different interest groups? They're going to shape the city. They have shaped the city, actually. Well organized, by the way. Pulling together as one. If you want to have a, you know, a master class on how to shape a city, go and talk to some of the interest groups who have actually made huge headways more than actually the churches. Um, and sometimes we need to wake up, don't we? We need to wake up, actually. And we need to go on the front foot. And that's what uh, Movement Day really is all about. It's asking big questions about the future of the city. Um, it's asking questions about what future do you want uh, for your kids, the environment, community, values, culture, spirituality. What do you want? Jesus said uh, to Bartimaeus, what do you want? Now, that, that seems a bit of an obvious question, but it's a very fundamental question, actually. Um, what do you want? What do you want? It's a big question. This question is coming to cities um, around the world at the moment. And, uh, of course, our Lord teaches us, um, certainly through the Word, is that uh, what our task is, is to bless the city. 
That's what we're called to do. There's this incredible moment in the people of Israel as they've been taken away out of their homeland. They've been taken away by this brutal city, Babylon. They have been enslaved. They have been uh, um, brought under the kosh. They have been taken away. They've been just used for fodder for the future of this pretty evil city. And then the word of God starts to come to some prophets, to the people of God. And the word of God says, don't worry, you're not going to be here long, just a couple of years. Keep your head down, keep yourself to yourself, create a spiritual ghetto. Keep away from people, make sure you don't get too infected by them. And then there's one prophet called Jeremiah, who must have prayed, one day, Lord, give me a popular prophecy. (laughs) And his prophecy was, you're not going back soon. In fact, the Lord has purposes for you. So settle down and marry your children off and have grandchildren and build your houses and plant your gardens because you're here for a long time. And this is what you're to do to the brutal, brutal city which has taken you out and away from everything you love to that brutal city bless it. Just go and bless it. Go and speak good of it. Go and encourage it. Go and just speak God's blessing and God's shalom upon it. That's, that's an incredible message when you think about it, isn't it? So he, he doesn't say keep yourself to yourself. He doesn't say, you know, just keep in the Christian ghetto. Well, actually, the trouble is the church often, certainly in my country, has done that, actually. We kind of want to stay away from them. Jesus says, I came for them. Don't stay away from them. <laughs> we say, oh, well, will we, will we be tainted? You know, will we be affected? Um, brothers and sisters, um, holiness isn't something to be defended. Jesus didn't come and defend holiness. When, when the woman touched him who had been uh, bleeding and for 12 years, um, did, did he become unclean? <laughs> no, she became clean. Brothers and sisters, we don't go to defend holiness. We go to unleash holiness. That's how you bless a city. That's how you love a city. Calling people to it. Calling people to serve our Lord and our Savior. Bless the city. And this message is just going all over the world at the moment. Um, fantastic stuff already happening in, this, in these areas. I mean, Perth is the first uh, movement day in, in Australia in a city-based um, uh, there are movement days beginning uh, in other places in Wellington coming up. We uh, have conversations in Japan. They will be in Newcastle soon. Hopefully get invited. Um, <laughs> and there will be in Melbourne. And there will be in Brisbane one day. Amen. There will be uh, in the South Seas, in fact, Papua New Guinea. Um, all to do with this man over here, actually, Mr. Ian Shelton, who is a legend a legend in terms of building unity. Amen. I thank him deeply for his mentoring and encouragement of me and Leslie. He's been a a rock to us um, over these last few years. Um, But it's not just happening here. It's happening all over the place. You can take you to India, Chennai, Mumbai. Um, Mumbai, 22 million people, 1,200 churches work together as one network. Hallelujah. How do you get your head around 22 million people? Well, how they get their head around it is they divide them into blocks of a million. (laughs) So every million people has a pastor's network. Every million people has a a network to do with the social justice and uh, anti-slavery and all the kind of things that are trying to bring in to change a city. 
Um, when you're 22 million, you're about to grow to 50 million. Um, thank God there's a church in Mumbai. Hallelujah. Thank God there's a church in Chennai as well, which has identified 1.5 million migrant workers have arrived in the city. They speak 100 languages. So two years ago at their movement day, they identified this. They prayed into it, and Indians do something about it. So they planted 45 churches. Whoa, come on. How do you go to find people? Well, they go to the railway station, and when they're coming in as migrant workers, they say, would you like somewhere to sleep? <laughs> would you like some food? Would you like to be welcomed? It's, it's not rocket science, is it? We could take you right across North America and Dallas and New York. We could take you right across into uh, Europe and uh, Berlin and Brussels and conversations now in Netherlands. There are now 70 movement days. You're part of this family now. This is the family of God, which is on the move. And that unity, of course, is bigger than movement day. But movement day is almost kind of like taking it to another level. That's what it's doing. Um, because there is one church in Perth. There's one church in Perth. Uh, one of my favorite cities in my country is, is where my son is, and uh, it's up in Teesside, Middlesbrough. Um, only 6,000 Christians in this city of about 300-plus thousand people. Um, but they're one church. In fact, they had a prayer meeting just before Christmas. 1,100 turned up. Whoa, they just uh, announced the next prayer meeting. They've had to cut back on the numbers because health and safety. <laughs> 600 tickets. Um, booked in 24 hours for a prayer meeting because they believe God has purposes for their city. Um, but don't let me say it, let them say it themselves. Let me tell you about my church. My church is big, it's wide, it's full of variety and surprises. My church has more than 130 campuses in Teesside alone. We have campuses in the town centre, in the middle of one of the most deprived estates in the UK. We have campuses in the suburbs. We're on industrial estates. We probably have a campus just around the corner from where you live. Each campus of my church has a different expression of worship and community life. They vary dramatically in size, in style, in history and in demographic. My church is energetic and sometimes has skinny jeans. My church is deep and reflective Sometimes the men wear dresses. We wave incense, we light candles. We dance around in worship and throw our arms up in the air. We eat bread and we drink wine. We splash heads and we dunk all the way under. My church is black and white and Asian and we're born in Teesside and Iran and Japan and Peru. My church is feeding the poor. We are battling drug and alcohol addiction. Fighting isolation and loneliness. We're building community. We fight debt, unemployment, depression and hopelessness. We serve people in pain. And those who have a path. We are out on the streets. We are in schools, community centres and prisons. We run youth groups, kids clubs, jobs clubs and counselling services. We host drop-ins, women's groups and men's breakfasts and a whole load of mums and toddlers groups. In my church, Jesus is our king. We aren't just a church building and we're not just open on Sundays. Jesus has us scattered all across Teesside. My church is in education and health and media and local government. My church is scattered like salt into every nook and cranny of Teesside. My church is like yeast 
working to transform our communities. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the Church of Teesside. We are the Church. We are the Church. We have the same King, we have the same mission, and we are placed here in the same land. We are one church. 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 And we are transforming Teesside together. Amen. Praise God. What's the vision? Jesus said, I come to bring you life. I come to bring you life. Hallelujah. Didn't come to set up a religion, actually. He came to bring life. Uh, that means flourishing people. What's the vision for the city? Well, we just want to see people flourish, don't we? We want to see just not only individuals flourish. We want to see them live together in a strong community as well. We want them to have that community life. This is what it's all about. This is shalom, actually. This is the picture, the shalom picture, the wholeness, the completeness of what this is all about. As we look at a city, some of the things that we've been developing over the last uh, few years is this vision, really, for a city where the flourishing and the community is at the heart. How does that happen? Well, you got around the city, you've got to see developed some significant aspects. For a start, you've got to have safe and healthy places to live and relate in. Um, Perth seems to have an awful lot of these, by the way. Um, beautiful places. Some of our cities, and I know some of the cities within this country, uh, um, they're not safe and they're not great to live in sometimes, are they? Um, so the environment as you grow up is really important. For those of you, um, brothers and sisters, who are in planning or in environmental care or anything like that, that's a high and holy calling, by the way. It really is. In fact, I think some of the most significant people for the future, certainly the future of Perth, if you're going to double in size, will be the planners. They're the people who are going to make the decisions. Um, so self and he- self safe, safe and healthy places to live and relate in, a place that values, please God, and cares for its elderly, its vulnerable, and its poor. Please God that Perth is a great city to grow up in and a great city to grow old in. This is one of the callings of the church, and I think it's one of the great things the actual church does. Um, thirdly, it's uh, that it's businesses... And we have this term which is called inclusive growth. And inclusive growth means growth which isn't just at the end of the day for the shareholders, but growth that comes out and from within a city and the, and the benefits of that then come back to the city itself. You see? You understand that? You see, I've got a friend of mine. He, he, um, he's the managing director of a huge tech company which is going through the roof at the moment. Um, and he, has, he just tries to imbibe Christian principles within that. And one of the principles he's imbibed within it is that he, as CEO, will not earn over a certain percentage from the lowest worker. And he's told all the workers this. His board just keeps saying to him, I'm sorry, we need to give you more money. He said, no, I'm not going to have any more money. Because I want to build a healthy business, an inclusive business. Um, this is, this is, these are the things that need to drive us. Um, the highest public standards and safely undergirded by an exemplary justice system. Hallelujah. We need that. Now, we're kind of in the West, we're used to that sometimes. But if you're in other countries, um, you'd want your law courts to be just. Um, You want them to work well and not be open to corruption. Um, We need uh, outstanding health care. For us, you know, within the NHS, uh, within Britain, uh, you know, this is for us, I think, one of our shining things, actually. Health care for all at point of need. Um, Affordable, ecological, technologically enhanced, community-focused housing for all. Not just housing that just sets people on a hill and away with their electric gates, but housing that creates community. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. We did some, uh, we, we used to live in a really posh area. You know how posh it was because the length of the drives. Um, and we were doing some uh, invites of Billy Graham, actually, for one of the live links. And uh, a couple of friends of mine went down this driveway about 100 yards, knocked on the door, and uh, would you like to come? And she wasn't interested, obviously. Um, shut the door and then walked down the driveway, walked down the road 100 yards, uh, 100 meters, walked down the next driveway another 100 meters, knocked on the door. Same woman opens the door. <laughs> it's the back door. <laughs> But we ministered in that society for 22 years. You wouldn't believe the state of marriages, the state of families in those kind of contexts, and the loneliness, the loneliness. Where on earth do we ever get this dream that somehow I should earn as much money as possible to be as isolated as possible from people? It's ridiculous, isn't it? And yet somehow this is the dream. This is the Western dream. Superb infrastructure. Um, Please, God, upon our roads. Your roads are gorgeous, by the way. There's no holes in them. (laughs) Life-enhancing, effective technology. Well, there's a challenge there about life-enhancing, but um, technology can do good. Um, Inspiring, sorry, education um, for all ages. That's important that we keep learning as cities, isn't it? It's really important that we keep learning. Um, uh, Creative and imaginative places. Please, God, there's some creativity around, eh? Um, some cities are pretty boring, actually. You kind of know what's going to happen, and you know what's going to be there. Some churches are pretty boring, actually. Sorry, if we're going to live the dream, we need to be um, setting the example, don't we? Yeah? Don't we? I went to a con- Christian conference in our city. Um, a stream was coming in and doing something, and, uh, and I attended it to support this guy. And uh, I came home, and Leslie said to me, uh, how, how did it go? How did it go? And I said, you tell me. I said, well, she, well I, I, I didn't go. And she said, I've never been to anything they've done. I said, no, you tell me. She described exactly what happened. How boring is that? Sorry, brothers and sisters, we've got to live a gift, different kind of gospel here. This is, the, this is the God who creates every snowflake to be different, for goodness sake. This is the God who creates the beauty of Australia and that we didn't to Japan and the beauty of Europe and the beauty of the Rockies and the beauty of the Himalayas. This is the God who creates creativity and beauty. Hallelujah, I'm preaching now. <laughs> How about a place that knows who it is, where it comes from and where it's going? Hallelujah for that. I tell you, that's a blessing on a city. If you know where you come from, where, uh, where, who you are, where you have come from and where you're going. That's what Jesus said, actually, interestingly. He said, I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? Do you know who you are? We have some cities who have lost the sense of that, actually. Um, in Sunderland in the northeast, there's going to be a movement day next year, but this is a city really in desperation at the moment. They don't know quite who they are. At one time, they did. They, bought, they built 60% of the world shipping. 60%. They built one city more than the whole of North America at one point. But now they don't build anything except a Nissan car. And after Brexit, that looks like that will leave the city. But there is a church in Sunderland, and they're coming together with a 15-year vision. And they're saying, God, what's your, what's your vision for this city? Amen? What's your vision for this city? Let's pray that in. A place where no one is held back or left behind from achieving their dreams and potential. That's our dream, isn't it? 
you know, that, that actually there's equality of opportunity. Um, I come from a class-based system in our country where there's, there's a real lack of equality of opportunity. If you're not bo- born into the right family in the right area, your chances of survival. Um, do you know how they work out the prison population in Dallas? They work out the prison population in Dallas based on the facts of children and their ability at the age of five to be school-ready. They find out how many kids are not school-ready, and they take a percentage of that percentage, and that's how they work out the prison population. So your future is basically decided by the age of four or five. I don't want to live in a city like that. Or if I did, I want to change it. Um, And please, God, a city that loves God and loves people. (laughs) Of course, that's what we're praying for. Um, as we decide this, how are we going to do this? I mean, this is a fantastic beginning, by the way. What, I mean, you have been building on a heritage of unity for many, many, many years. And in Movement Day yesterday, we were able to honor that. And uh, I love the way in which you honor particularly those who have been building this for decades um, before this. But at every point, God takes you onto a new path, doesn't he? He takes you onto a new movement. He kind of accelerates you, doesn't he? And that's what I think is happening into Perth. You're being accelerated. Um, How are you going to do this? Well, firstly, you're going to have to grow the values. I mean, values will shape the city in the future. It will. The values of the kingdom of God we've got to be thinking about. We've got to have some monitorable vision, creating new ideas. That's really important, actually, that we kind of know where where we are now and where we will be. And we're asking every movement day in the world to set up a state of the city report and a state of the church report. How good are we? Where are we? How many of us are there in the church? What is the state of the city? All the stats are out there. It's really important because in three years' time, we need to know. We need to know. Are we getting any better? Um, We need to call on God to bless. Please, God, this whole thing will never be changed without prayer. We need stability, and that's a really interesting one. You need enough people to hang around for enough time. You need enough people to hang around for enough time to build the future. Um, we need to build a relational roadway. That's important, actually. Uh, a relational r- roadway. So that's, this is what this is about. I think you already have quite a great relational roadway. People know each other and so on. We need to keep working on that. We need to unleash the creatives. Hallelujah. Any creatives in the room here? Yeah. <laughs> a little, little shy. Usually they shout, actually. Um, <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we need you because we need new things now. We can't keep doing the old things, so the old things haven't necessarily worked. So we need new ways ahead. We need creativity to be unleashed. We need to focus on the systemic pain of the city. This is something coming particularly out of uh, Toowoomba at the moment. It's a very important point that we need to focus on the pain of the city. There is pain in Perth. And it may be slightly hidden by all the beautiful buildings and your beautiful roads. <laughs> but it will be hidden. And there is pain out there. You know that. We need to then partner with civic bodies. It was great having the police chief up um, yesterday, wasn't it? But regardless whether he's a Christian or not, or she's a Christian or not, that's not the issue. We need to partner with them. We need to partner with them. Um, Because actually, there are good people of peace out there. And they're doing some good stuff, by the way. And sometimes they're doing better stuff than the church. 
And sometimes we can learn a lot from them. Um, we need to build a unified city-changing um, institutions. We need to reimagine a new city, a story of the city. Sometimes people need a new word that's spoken over a city. And yes, I was talking about a city in Salford in Manchester, which had a word over it that one day it will go to the world and the world will come to Salford. That was a ridiculous word because nothing went to Salford. It was a dreadful, dreadful place, but one guy believed that God had given him a vision and he was the most annoying person in the city because he talked about how good the place was and it wasn't and we thought he was mad. But when you've been given a word, then it's already happened, you see? Because if God's spoken a word, it's already happened. His word doesn't return to him void. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how long that takes. It's, it's, it's going to happen. And he was the only one who believed it. And the place where he knelt down on the dock side and, um, and had this word, one day the world will come to Salford and Salford will go to the world. What a ridiculous word. Is now the site of one third of the BBC and 100 media companies. And that's getting a word over your city. That's getting a word out of your city. I just want to focus um, this evening on releasing the city transformers. Okay. Um, that's, uh, that's you lot. Okay. You're the city transformers. Because God hasn't got anybody else. <laughs> well, there's a few people who may not be here tonight, but, but you are the city transformers. Um, this, you know, thank God for the pastors here, but at the end of the day, they're not going to... You know, I'm a pastor for 22 years, and I would visit my business people, and I'd give them some of my advice, and they just wouldn't listen to me because I didn't know what I was talking about. And I visit my people in the health sector and I give them you know, perhaps a little bit of advice and they ignored me as well, thank God. Because <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. I can disciple them. I can pray for them. I can be there when they're going through hardship and whatever. I can inspire them. Of course I can. That's an incredibly important thing. But at the end of the day... It will be the medics who change the health service. It will be the business people who change the future of this city. It will be the planners who plan it out. It will be the artists who make it creative. It will be the educators, the teachers, and everyone who works in the education sector who will transform education in this city. You are the city transformers. You've got to get that around your head. Because Movement Day is a long-term process that galvanizes the church together towards city transformation. Spiritual, cultural, and social transformation. That's what it's all about. It's a big picture. And you're the transformer. You. You. The transformer, wherever you are. And you may say to me, well, I don't even have a job. Have you got neighbors? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> are you a good one? I think Jesus said something about being a good neighbor. I think he said it's quite important. <laughs> do, you have, do you have shops you go to? Do you see what I mean? It's, it's just at its very earthy level. It's about being a transformer of a city, speaking well of a place, encouraging a place, loving a place. This is what we're all about. Releasing our people into society as agents of transformation in health and media, education and civic life, neighborhoods in arts. This is what this is about. This is the next stage, actually. You are a city transformer. So there you are on your own and we validate you. And that's really important because sometimes the church hasn't validated people in the spheres of life. And I'm sorry for that, actually. As a pastor, I'm sorry. And I apologize. I deeply apologize, actually, because I think some people have felt very hurt by that. That somehow my only validation is if I do something in church. 
Brothers and sisters, you are the church. <laughs> I met a guy recently who's um, in the tech industry, and he came across a guy in a church, and, and he asked him the question, what, what, what do you do? You know, what, you know, what? He said, well, I'm in the tech industry. Um, he said, well, what do you do in church? He said, well, I, I'm, I'm on PowerPoint. I press the button. <laughs> I press the button because I'm techie. That's what pastors do. They go, sorry, I did that. Are you techie? PowerPoint. <laughs> Press the button. He said, what do you do uh, for your job, proper job? He said, oh, I'm, uh, I work for BlackBerry. He said, oh, right. He said, uh, what do you do? He said, oh, I came up with a messaging system for BlackBerry on which every messaging system is now based. Every messaging system is based on what this guy did. Surely to God, we could have found something more creative for this man. (laughs) You're techie. Surely to God. So this guy's getting these tech people together, Christians in tech. They're having hackathons. I'm the faintest idea what that is. But I think they lock a whole load of people in a room for a weekend. And they give them a city problem. Because these people think in different ways. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what they came up with? One's problem is, how could you pick up child abuse earlier? Weekend. Here's some pizzas. <laughs> the answer was, go to the social housing register, your public, I don't know what you call it here, but you know, poor housing register. Find out how many times... The lock on the bathroom has been changed in the last year. That's ridiculous. Why why would you? um, Put up your hand if you've changed the lock on your bathroom in the last year. Put up your hands if you changed it twice. (laughs) Because when a child is being abused, it runs to the bathroom because it's the only door that has a lock on it. And the door is knocked in. And the child is abused, and then they get the social housing people to change the lock. 85% risk of child abuse if a lock is changed more than twice a year. That's a Christian thinking tech. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. So we validate and we empower, and the job of uh, pastors like myself is to just encourage you and disciple you and to prepare you for the works of service. That was the whole idea, you see, to prepare you for the works of service. But not just to do that, brothers and sisters, we need to do more than that, because actually this unity thing isn't just about pastors together, isn't just about institutional churches together. This unity thing is about people in the spheres of life together. That's really important now. Because who, who's going to hold you accountable in the tech industry or in business or in health? Will your pastor hold you accountable? Well, I, I suppose if it was you know, something horrendously immoral. But at the end of the day, I really don't know whether something is moral or not in accounting. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I bet people in accounting do. Now, what if they were unified in groups together praying for each other and holding each other to accountable? Brothers and sisters, for years we prayed for senior people in the banking industry in our country. And God answered our prayers. By 2008, there were senior people in the banking industry in my country. Why then did the crash happen? 
Why did nobody notice it? I just wonder if they'd been praying together every week and were walking together in Jesus. I just wonder whether that could have been averted or at least uh, dialed down a bit. It's not just within business, it's right across the places. So if you're in media, brothers and sisters, you need to get together uh, from all different churches. Uh, you need to get together in business and arts and politics and education and social justice. It's really, I think this is the next stage. And I know uh, with Wendy Yap and uh, Perth together, there's just this move about praying together, isn't there, in the different spheres. That's the beginning, basically, by the way. That's the beginning. Pray together. That's always the beginning. And then when you begin to pray together, you begin to get a heart together, and then you want to meet together, and then you want to see things changed. You see? That's what it's all about, because prayer does that. You can't stay in the presence of God for very long without him wanting you to do things and change things and move things on. And this really is the picture. This is the picture we're actually looking at now across the city. Christian communities in the sphere networking together to affect significant transformation. Let me just give you some examples. This is Lauren. Um, she actually is a young lady, grew up with uh, our oldest boy, and uh, they became really good friends. She went to drama college, and she came out of drama college, and she just thought, I've just got to do something. She was really touched by homelessness. We have significant rates of homelessness now in our city. And she was touched by it, and she wanted to do something about it. And, and she said, well, Lord, all I do is drama, and I teach people how to do drama. So she thought, well... I think I'll get some homeless people together and we'll do some drama. That's a bit silly, really, isn't it? Um, and so she got some homeless people and did some drama workshops. And then she thought, well, we're doing drama workshops. I think we, should probably, uh, we probably should put something on. And so they decided to do a film. And they wrote it. The homeless people wrote the film. And, they, and then she managed to get all her contacts in the media industry to film it and give their time free. And it's quite a big thing to do a film. It's only six or seven minutes, but... Um, uh, this guy here, I've, I've actually forgotten his name, but you see this guy here? Um, he used to sell, I don't know if you have the big issue, but it's a you know, magazine. To, it's, it's, he used to sell it outside a really trendy cinema. Okay? That was, that's what he did. It was his patch um, called The Corner House. And uh, he used to sell his big issue because it was good. You know, they're coming in the evenings and people buy the big issue. And it's trendy, so everyone felt guilty. And it was a great place to be. Um, and he used to dream one day of actually going in and seeing a film. He'd never seen a film. Um, that was his dream. He, he got involved in the uh, workshops, and uh, in fact, they were so touched by his story, they based the whole storyline around him. And they said to him, actually, why, why, don't you, why don't you take part in the film? In fact, he became the lead in the film. <laughs> um, guess where the film was held? the opening of the film <laughs> at the corner house and he sat there watching his first film and the first face of his first film is him that's transformation folks um, I could tell you about um I'll just come back a bit. This is Simon. Um, so, some of these stories are, you know, extraordinary. Some are just very ordinary. This is a guy who owns a, ta a textile business in North Manchester. And these are his senior team. They're not Christians, but he loves them to bits. And they'll do anything for him because they know he loves them. He's the best boss in the world. He seriously is. He's a lovely, lovely man. Um, he's employed a chaplain for the, for the company. And they, they love the chaplain. And then he found out that the youth service was being... Um, 
uh, cut back because of the cuts in our country. And so he's employed the youth worker for the town. And now he's bringing all the pastors together. Because he said, look, it's a really, you know, rough, difficult place. Um, Just an ordinary businessman with a vision for the city, for his little city. Um, That's wonderful, isn't it? Um, uh, This is uh, Simon. Um, Simon was uh, the CEO of London Fashion Week. Um, And uh, this this is a hard job. You get to sit with supermodels. Um, (laughs) That's Theresa May, actually. Um, not known as a supermodel in our, in our country, but, but, but these are anyway. Um, and my, Leslie and I spent some time with him, and we said to him, what, what difference do you think you've made as a Christian? He said, oh, I don't think I've made any difference. I just do my job, really. I said, no, come on, what, what do you think? He said, oh, he said, I suppose actually the whole size zero thing, I, I, I kind of was behind. I said, sorry, what was that? He said, well, there was this thing about... Models who were too thin and too young, coming in at 14, 15, size zero. Um, and the fashion weeks were using them, left, right, and center. Very abusive, actually. Um, and uh, he said, uh, well, actually, we, we passed a, a rule in London Fashion Week, which is one of the leading fashion weeks in the world, that we wouldn't do that. And then we set up a whole um, support service for the younger models, um, because actually they live lives really, you know, 16... 17, away from home a lot. We sent him a whole support structure. And he said, actually, actually, to be honest, he said, actually, Paris Fashion Week copied that. And, and New York. And he just began to list all these fashion weeks that have copied what a Christian had put in place. Who didn't really think he'd be doing anything. Um, City Transformers, folks. They're fantastic people. Um, and you can be London Fashion Week CEO, but you can also be George, who's a porter in Salford Royal. Actually, he's, no, he's passed away recently, but um, uh, his, his city transformation ministry was to pick you up for an operation, take you to the operation, collect you from the operation and put you back on the ward. And from the moment he picked you up, he interceded for you and he prayed for you and he prayed for you and he prayed for you. <laughs> That's all he did. I tell you, you ever go in that hospital, you want someone like George, won't you? I'll have him. <laughs> I'll have him. So it can be the littlest, littlest of things and the greatest of things. It doesn't matter. And this is a young man who joined uh, the politics group in Bristol in a city where they divided into different sphere groups. Um, a young man just really passionate about politics. He, he joined a number of people passionate about politics. Uh, in the city, passionate about the future of the city. And they prayed together, they discipled him, they trained him, they encouraged him. And then one day God said to him, stand for mayor of the city. And the group, Christian group, were behind him. <laughs> I'm not sure they thought he stood a chance, but anyway, they were behind him. And he said, I need a manifesto. He said, so well, we prayed about it. And they, they wrote a manifesto for the future of Bristol. And they went to the, 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 the party he had to get nominated by and he took this manifesto he didn't tell him it was the Christians who produced it um, and he gave it and two years ago he was made mayor of Bristol Marvin Rees uh, just a few weeks ago actually he got 50 of the top Christians in the city with 50 of the top non-Christians together to talk about the future the further future of Bristol brothers and sisters that's city transformation 
And that's what you're about. That's what I'm about. Not just empowered and validated, but functioning as Christian communities, transforming within a cultural sphere. And it all comes together. This is my wife uh, from Manchester who's been bringing the artists together. Um, she, she's going, no, no, don't get me up. Just come up and sit, darling. Just... <laughs> How long have you been pulling the artists together? Um, since about 2010. Um, just gathering together any Christians in the arts in our city. It's nice and easy. Just have them round for coffee. You start off going out into town, meeting them for coffees, getting to know them a little bit. Then we gather together once a month, um, share stories with one another, pray for each other, um, critique one another's work, begin to do partnerships together. It's not really difficult. And then, um, then we've begun doing some exhibitions together, some concerts together, and uh, building relationships with those who are, you know, we've got two curators in Manchester Art Gallery, which is our big city gallery, who are Christians and helping to support and pray for them. And again, just to try to tell them, um, one of them, she said to me, I don't feel as if what I do, her, her, her church pastors don't get her role. It's easy when you're in the arts to feel as if the church don't understand you and that you're doing something frilly, you know, and it has no meaning. And uh, so I was able to say, t- say to her and encourage her that when you're selecting um, artworks for an exhibition, you're helping to tell a story that thousands of people are going to come in and choose. She's choosing what comes in and what stories are told in our city um, and what schools come and visit and what they're going to learn. Um, it's a really, really important position, and it's really important that we have Christians in those roles, and it's the same with the museums as well, um, all the art spaces, the, the music halls. So, uh, yeah, so bring your artists together. Love them care for them, encourage them, nurture them, and help them realize that it's a significant thing that they're doing. Something that I have been doing is, uh, I, I run, it's now a, a Christian charity that we've set up um, called Passion Art across the city um, that's trying to link secular art spaces with um, sacred spaces in our city. So in Lent, um, every other year because it costs about 50,000 English pounds to put it on. Um, We work with three secular spaces and three sacred spaces and those spaces are now the cathedral. Um, I'm part of their arts team. I'm their longest member of their art strategy team at Manchester Cathedral and then we've got another um, main big church at the centre of our city and I run an arts programme with them and then we've got um, a Methodist space as well. And um, so we, we bring in artwork. So in 2016, um, I was trying to find a way of how do we have a message for our city about what Lent is about that the art gallery will be happy for me to work with them with. So we took the theme of be still because I thought stillness is what prayer is really. So how do I encourage our city to understand what Lent is about and what prayer is about? And Everybody thinks Lent is about um, neg- ne- negative things. Christians give up things and they're very boring over Easter. This is what they do. So we invited some 
um, artists to come and exhibit their work. Most of them were actually non-Christians. This gentleman here, um, we, we brought in these great big, large funerary urns. He's one of our top ceramicists in the country. His wife is the senior curator at the Victorian Albert Museum and uh, was at the time putting on the Alexander McQueen exhibition that she was um, the senior curator for, which was our biggest exhibition in our country. Um, and literally, they had to open the doors till midnight because so many people were booking tickets. She came to our opening. I was just dying. <laughs> um, but, um, but Julian brought his work in, and he makes these great big large out of, out of ceramic, hand-built ceramic vessels. Um, these are burial urns and sarcophagi. And we brought them into the cathedral. These great big pieces, literally they, they weigh a couple of tons each. It was a massive thing to bring them in. And we talked about um, what does it mean... Um, to, um, to grieve and we had different stations and places where people could talk about grieving and then we had people there to pray with people who were grieving um, and uh, it, 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 so, so we used different artworks like that and in the art gallery um, I went in with their curators and selected artworks that helped tell elements of what Lent was about um, and what prayer was about but I wasn't allowed to use the word prayer because um, that's not what the art gallery does. So I actually used the term mindfulness because they had a mindfulness program at the, um, at the art gallery. But then they said to me, would you like to come in at lunchtimes and run a mindfulness session around the artworks that you've chosen? So basically, um, once a week for our eight weeks when we were on, I went in at lunchtimes and, and had people walk around with me around the art gallery, and I explained to them the meaning behind the prodigal son, um, the good Samaritan, and um, we did um, mindfulness sessions where I gave them things to think about and to pause and to reflect on what that meant to them. You know, you know how you do um, lecto divino? Well, we were basically doing visual divinio um, around artworks in the art gallery. And it was all acceptable um, because it was mindfulness. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, this, um, this was a piece uh, in one of our churches, and uh, it's called Manor. It's 22,000 pieces of paper. Um, a non-Christian lecturer stood under that and said, I must go back to church. Um, we've got to think of creative ways to communicate, brothers and sisters. Let me just finish in the next minute. Go and bless the city. So get your mind right. Find your calling. What is your calling? What's your calling? If you're in education, that's your calling. If it's not your calling, get out of education. Do something else. <laughs> if your calling is to business, be the best business person you can be. If the calling is to health, then be the best health person you can be. And start praying for your sphere. Start praying for what you're doing. Find others and start meeting. Connect with Wendy and be part of the prayer thing. Connect with the bigger picture. Get a vision and start working and praying together. And let the pastor's group be at the very center of it because we're all going to be connected together. Amen? We're going to all be connected together. The future of Perth is exciting because there is a church in Perth. In fact, God loves this city so much it gave it a church. And you are here to serve it and to bless it and to give your life for something bigger than the middle-class dream. You are here to give your life to something bigger than that. You're here to give your life to the kingdom of God. May God bless you. Let's stand together. Thank you. May the Spirit of God bless you. May the Spirit of God come upon you. Let's hold out our hands and just say, Lord, did you fill me? Would you fill me now?
Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Therefore, you have been commissioned by him to go into the places of this city. You've been commissioned by him to join together in unity and and disciple each other. You've been commissioned by him to be city transformers. Therefore, in the name of Jesus and the authority of the Bible, I commission you in Christ's name. And your pastors commission you in Jesus' name to go and serve and be city changers in this great city. Hallelujah. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.